The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Okay. Well, just for the record, we got a son in Phoenix, too. 52 to... <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sunny in Phoenix podcast, a weekly podcast where we keep you up to date on everything Phoenix Suns basketball. My name is Charlie Erling, and as always, I'm joined by the governor, Mitch Krumpetich. Hello. This week on the show, we'll be hitting you with that zone defense and give you our early season takeaways now that the Suns are 10 games into their schedule. After that, stay tuned in for our bet question while we discuss the Suns' upcoming four games this week. Follow us on Twitter at Sunny and PHX Pod. Same thing for Instagram. Go on iTunes, leave us a five-star review and a comment, and you will get a shout-out on the show. A beautiful 7-3 and three start, something we can all get behind. We missed our episode last week due to Mitch being on his honeymoon. Still don't know if that's an acceptable excuse. <laughs> but we'll just we're going to give you our takeaways from the first 10 games of the season. And the thing that I want to start off with, are our wings, or some would consider them power forwards. But these three guys, Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, Jay Crowder, they're bringing a lot to the team this season. They combine for about 40 points and 13 rebounds per night. They fill a lot of holes that were in our roster last year. And it's not because of a bunch of new guys. It's just because of the improvement from both Bridges and Johnson. So Mikhail Bridges just came off a career high last night two nights ago and man he has just really turned a corner what do you think about Mikhail so far this season yeah he's been so good we know that he's a great defender he's got those long arms and we always said hopefully the offense comes around even if it doesn't he's still a good guy to have on your team but it's coming around he's shooting well I mean his three-point percentage this year is ridiculous Uh, It's probably not going to stay as good as it has been because it's 46% right now. (laughs) (laughs) So it it will drop off at some point, but that's okay. Even if he keeps that around 40, that would be great. So he's been awesome and he can do more than just shoot the three. I, uh, since I was on my honeymoon, we were driving back during this Pacers game. So I listened on the radio. They do a good job too. You had mentioned that a couple weeks yeah. ago. I hadn't McCoy, baby. The, yeah. I hadn't listened on the radio for a while and it's still, it's still good. Um, they just kept talking about how, you know, Mikhail Bridges is this ideal three and D guy, which I agree with. I think we could take it to the next step though. He does more than just shoot the three. He cuts so well. He's just smart. He knows the game really well. He can be pretty explosive at times. I think he's just been great. Oh, yeah. And he's been showing off, you know, getting into the lane and then just rising up over everybody for that little, you know, middle of the lane pull-up floater type shot. And I'm very confident when he gets in the lane like that and puts it up because, man, he shoots that at a pretty high percentage, so... There, there is more to it, more than just three and D. That's, that's for sure. Um, something else about Mikhail, this, yeah, forty-six percent from three. That's pretty wild. But look at all the shots that he's getting. It's a lot of wide-open shots. It's because Paul and Booker can get into the lane, or we find Aiton right under the rim, and then he has somebody to kick out to. Bridges is just nailing it. The corners, I we should check his numbers from the corners because just lights out from there. And it, it's it's so much confidence, too. We just saw some quotes about how Chris Paul was talking about how McHale's just a pretty special guy. He has a bunch of confidence in him. And the, the whole team shows that because look, how many, how many shots is McHale putting up per game? Let me pull that up real quick. Yeah, while you pull it up, I want to mention one thing. This start 
is something we haven't seen in a long time. This is actually the five-year anniversary of the Sunny and Phoenix podcast, and we have never seen a start like this. The first season that we did this was when Eric Bledsoe and Brandon Knight were combining for 60 points a game, and <laughs> we were saying, oh, they're both going to be all-stars, and we all know how that went. That's the next best that we have been since we've been doing this podcast. So it's like the team knew. They knew that this was the five-year anniversary of the show, and they wanted to give us a nice start. That's almost – it feels very personal to me. Right. We we were due. Yeah. We were due. But Mikhail is putting up six three-pointers per game right now. He averaged less than three last year and about four in his rookie season. So six threes per game, that, that seems like a lot, but when you're – hitting 46% of it, almost 47% of them, you keep firing them up. So I, I have so much faith in Mikhail. And everyone, every yeah, everyone said just wait till the offense comes. Well, it's about here. 15 points per game, five and a half rebounds, one assist, and then actually more blocks than steals this year out of Mikhail, averaging 1.2 blocks per game. Yeah, it's nice. I don't think the block number will last like he'll have more steals than blocks per game eventually i think that's safe to say but he's yeah he's been great on defense the offense is really coming i also think it's a little bit interesting that you know he is a little over 15 points a game i imagine if this team weren't as balanced as it is that would be higher if we look at maybe last year or the year before if he were playing like this on those teams, that might be a little closer to 20. But our scoring is so balanced this year that that number is where it's at for that reason. Yeah, balanced scoring. Booker with 22 a night, Bridges with 15, Paul with 13, Aiton with 13, Crowder with almost 11, Johnson with 13, Sarich with 10. Yeah, that's as balanced as you get. That's seven guys scoring in double figures per night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, let's 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 talk about the next one on the list here, averaging 13 points per game, Cameron Johnson. 13 points per game, three rebounds, one and a half assists, shoot, shooting 48-40, 100 from the line. He hasn't missed a free throw this year. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Cam Johnson is... He's got a lot of respect from the rest of the league. I think everyone knows he can shoot because he gets guarded. I think that's part of why Mikhail has had more opportunities because guys guard Cam Johnson on the perimeter. They know he can shoot. And it leaves, when they're both on the floor together, it often leaves bridges open. It's one of those things where opposing teams are just going to be caught between a rock and a hard place because if you go to put more pressure on one of them versus the other. Both of them can make you pay. But I think Cam has just been a great shooter. I think he could look more like Mikhail's offensive game in the next couple years where he can add more of those cuts to the basket and some of those dribble drives. Also being able to shoot more with a hand in his face, a little more contested. Right now he doesn't really pull up too much when he's super contested. Uh, I know on the broadcasts the last few games, they've talked about that, like wanting him to pull up a little bit more with a hand in his face because we know he can make them. But he makes the smart play a lot of the time, and I think he's been great this season. Yeah, and a funny thing from the the game last night here, uh, there was a moment where Paul – just fired a pass to Cam, and he was wide open for three. Didn't take it. Uh, don't know why. It was just a weird series, and Chris Paul was kind of looking at him funny, like, why didn't why didn't you take that one? Then the next time down the court, Cam catches it, uh, puts down a dribble, goes behind the back, does a little step back, and then drains a three. And then they pan over to Chris Paul, and he just has, like, the Nick Young face. Pretty much like, what in the world was that, man? <laughs> it it was just so weird, but he's so talented. And, yeah, I, I want to see the, the next steps get added to the game. One of those things is rebounds. Only three per game. I'd like to see him get a, get a little more. Like, we see Bridges and Crowder right at five, five and a half. So, I like, I think Cam should be 
just as good of a rebounder as those guys. But yeah, I, I do love when Cam does put out a pump fake, takes one dribble and pulls up for an elbow jumper. That feels like money to me. It looks like that's that's something that he practices a ton. It looks so fluid. I love when I see it. And then if he does see the lane, he, he has that size and speed to get in there and go yam it on everybody too. We, we've seen a few posters from him. Not Maybe not this season, but it, it's there. It's all there. We just need to see it all come together. And this is one of the most dynamic wing duos in the league. Especially, you know, they're both 24 years old. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And I think a lot of it is just as Cam Johnson gains confidence, more of this is going to come because I think he has more talent than he even realizes. That's got to be part of it. I think so too. I mean, look at going into the draft. He was supposed to be just a shooter, you know, kind of like Devin Booker. All he can do is shoot. Uh, he's he's weak. He has all these injury issues. I mean, look at the athlete he is. It's it's nothing like that. I, I can't believe that's what the draft talk was about with him. I, I don't know if a ton has changed. I didn't watch him a ton in college, but man, he's just he's a pretty dynamic athlete. He's just smart about it, I think. Yeah. I mean it's it's just one of those things that there's still something to the eye test no matter what analytics and how accurate it is. And I even like that stuff, but you can't completely count out the eye test. James Jones liked Cam Johnson and made that decision. And it worked out very well. You could say maybe the same thing for Mikhail Bridges, Devin Booker. Yeah. I mean, I know that was a McDonough choice, but still there, there's something to that. Just, instinctual gut reaction, that kind of thing. Totally. All right. So we talked about our, our homegrown prospects here. Let's talk about the new guy, the starter, Jay Crowder. And I think this guy's the X factor on our team. If he's hitting threes at a high percentage and he's doing everything that he does on defense, we're going to be a real tough team to beat. One stat I looked at through all of our 10 games here, one of these guys, Bridges Johnson Crowder, has scored, I think it's 14 points in all but one game. And a couple, like there's been games where two of these guys have 20. They're, they're normally two of them in double figures, sometimes all three. And just the balance that these guys all bring, so good. But Crowder is just, he's, he's shooting 37% from three right now. And I feel like that's low. Feels like he's uh, going to be better than that still. Yeah, I think he has gotten off to a bit of a slow start just because he was playing a couple months ago since he was in the finals of the Heat last year, or last season, I should say. I guess it's last year, too. Happy 2021, by the way. That's right. So he, I think, is getting off to just a bit of a slow start. He's also a little bit older. He's been around the league for quite a bit longer than these other two. And, you know, I think Jay Crowder... If he plays well, it's the difference between us winning by 20 and us winning by five. <laughs> oh, it's so different than what it used to be. <laughs> uh, Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I I do think that we can, can consider Crowder the X factor, though, I for those reasons. I mean, if he's going to be hot and we get Mikhail and Cam playing average games, we're a tough team to beat. Yeah. And it's just so nice that we have all three of these guys and it's not like we rely on one of them to go off every night. It's whoever has the hot hand is going to stay in a little longer, mix and match with the combinations and defensive matchups and all of that kind of thing. It's nice that we have so much depth here. Totally. And like foul trouble. One of those guys gets in trouble. We're just fine. Right. Or, you know, I hate to even bring it up, but it's part of the game, injuries. Someone has to sit out for a couple games here or there. We're not just completely screwed like we had been in the past, where if one of our starters gets hurt, then we have to start a G League guy. Right. It's going to be okay if, if Crowder or Bridges or whoever, if they twist an ankle 
or something like that and have to be out two, three games, we'll be fine. Totally. And I mean, we don't know at this point, but Abdel Nader had been out with a concussion for quite a while. And without him being, you know, our fourth or fifth wing or however you want to put it, like we still have Galloway that can come in and play some of those minutes. We still have more that can play some of those minutes. So it's, we're, we're deep at yeah. the wing for sure. Oh, yeah. But uh, we'll talk about the big man position a little later. Th- that might be a bit of a different story. That is a little different. I mean, Etwan Moore hasn't even played. He's played a tiny bit this regular season. But right. most nights he doesn't even enter the game. And just think about that. <clears throat> the Suns are that good that Etwan Moore doesn't even play. He doesn't even touch the court. Yeah, that's... That's uh, he would have been a stud on the team last year. Yeah, he would. Two have. years ago, he might have been the star. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but yeah, Jay Crowder, great shooter. Obviously, does a lot of things for the defense. Five boards per game. That's pretty solid there. I, I love when I see him be able to get involved in more than just the three-point game on offense. We've seen him make some great passes this year, averaging two assists per game. He makes the right pass a lot. And if he gets into the lane and he's going to pull up for anything and those are falling for him, that that just makes him even more dangerous. So uh, Jay Crowder, big-time addition, no doubt. Oh, yeah. He is such a professional. He's great to have. And speaking of professionals, let's talk about the Chris Paul effect. So we've seen it 10 games now. Chris Paul is averaging 13 points, 4.5 boards, 8.5 assists, while under two turnovers per game, 1.7 per game. So, and this is in 31 minutes per game, by the way. It's not like this 35-year-old guy is playing a few minutes per night. He's playing over 30 per game. So we're getting we're getting to see what's going on. How First of all, before we get too much into Chris, how do you think the starting lineup is meshing together after 10? I, I think we might be a little slow. Yeah, I think we don't have very much chemistry. And we're 7-3 and three with very little chemistry in our starting lineup. I think it's just going to get better and better from here. I, I agree. I mean, our benches came in and saved us in a few of these wins, with, without mm-hmm. a doubt. So when these guys get working all together, I'm, I'm really excited for that. But, I mean, we can see what Chris Paul does for the team in its entirety. They're serious, they're confident, and they're going to come play hard every night. I think, throw the stats away, I think this is the biggest part. Yeah, his leadership is huge. Just the gravity that he has on the game. And I know it can be annoying. When he didn't play for the Suns, it was terribly annoying. But he gets in the ref's ears all game long, and he... I remember last year there was the whole issue where he pointed out someone had their jersey untucked and all that kind of stuff. He's going to do every little thing he has to, even if it's really annoying, to win. He wants to win every single time he's out on the court, and he's going to do whatever it takes. Just this one little thing that I've picked up and I love is if Chris Paul is bringing the ball up the court and there's anybody behind him, anybody from the opposing team, He's going to slow his pace, and he's going to get right in front of that guy. And he's going to make that guy think that he's just going to come to a complete stop and then blow into him. So you see them like trailing him by an extra step or two because they, they just know that something like that's going to come. Like just that, like even that type of gravity on the court when we're talking about playing the game now, we see that too. Uh, just the smart passes, the pick and roll. They're, everybody's worried about Chris Paul still, and then that's such a big part of why our, our wings that we just talked about look so good. The games that Aiton's been successful from the on the offensive side, I mean, that's all Chris Paul too. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things that I was curious, what would be the difference by adding Chris Paul versus Ricky Rubio? Because I loved Rubio, and still do. I right. really, really was a big fan of Rubio. And it's still a night and day difference. Chris Paul, just his demeanor and his effect on the game as a whole. And 
Rubio was a good leader. It's just different with Chris Paul being able to yell at his teammates <laughs> and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's everyone respects Chris Paul so much that he will call you out if you're not doing the right thing or if you're in the wrong spot or whatever it is. And that's what we need. Yeah. Uh, it's like yeah. having two coaches, basically. It really is. Uh, he's see, here's my beef about that though. Does Chris Paul, when he's in, sort of take away from the whole point five offense that Monty has been preaching? That's a great point because I have noticed that there are times where Chris Paul will sit with the ball and not really do too much with it and kind of let things move around a little bit and it does slow things down. I noticed that a couple times in the last couple games. I think for the most part, though, we're still really whipping the ball around, having great movement, playing that .5 basketball that Monty Williams wants. But yeah, I think you're right. There are times that Chris Paul goes away from that. And I'm just trying to think about this. It doesn't seem like it ever ends poorly. Right. I, I Because someone's going to end up with an open shot. It just feels like when, when Paul's running the pick and roll, he's going to weasel his way into the lane. They're going to have to worry about the roll, man. And then that collapses the defense. And then Chris is always making the right pass. Even if it's going to be a hockey assist and there's one more pass after it, someone's coming away with a wide open shot. And when we hit those shots, that's what, that's when, uh, like when Chris Paul starts manipulating the defense to that point, that's when teams have been starting to go to the two, three zone against us. So, I mean, that kind of hurt us in the Pistons game and even in the Pacers game a little bit. But I mean, that's the effect. Like teams are going zone against us because Chris Paul and Booker are doing things to get into the lane that they just can't stop. Yeah. And well, okay. A couple things here. One, Monty Williams knows that Chris Paul is going to do his thing at times. Yeah. I'm sure they have talked about this. I'm sure they've come to some agreements. I don't think Monty's mad at this or anything like that. The zone is a great point, though. Detroit ran this 2-3 zone perfectly against us, and it was horrifically frustrating because they they won the game by doing it. It's so frustrating because it's such a – a high school move. You see some <laughs> two, three zone in college, you know, Syracuse runs that zone. They, they run a, a little bit of a different zone, but it's, I can't stand watching it. I think it's horrible. I think it's a cop out, but whatever, if it's effective, it's effective. And I think we kind of went away from our, our usual style of basketball because we got frustrated, especially in that Detroit game, the offense we run could easily break a zone by moving the ball very quickly, having good shooters. And they brought this up on the radio broadcast last night. You can still screen against the zone. You really can. And then if you do that and move the ball quickly enough, you're going to have open guys. You're going to be able to cut to the basket. You're going to be able to expose the holes in the zone. We didn't do that very well in the Detroit game, but we were able to adjust and turn that around in the Indiana game. So I think we're okay. Yeah, and I bet today, recording Sunday here, I bet uh, Monty, I, I doubt we... Do you practice on Sundays in the NBA? Do you get the day off? Who knows? That's, I don't know. But who? someone's thinking about how to break two, three zones from now on when that comes up. Like, that. that's going to be a big thing. Like, we're, we need to figure that out. Something I'd like to see with that, put in Sarge and Aiton at the same time. Sure. Sarge is, you know, he's a Swiss army knife out there. You can put him at the high post. He can operate from there. He can dish into Aiton, you know, really collapse that zone on the inside. Then the shooters will be even more open on the outside. Right, right. And you know what? We did that in the Indiana game a little bit because I remember as I was listening to it, I said to my wife, you know, that's another good way to break the zone is a high-low post game. Old school way to break it. But we can run that for sure. Right. Even with Cam Johnson, I trust him. You know, yeah. running running that little roll from the free throw line, that area. Why not? Why not? <laughs> All right. So, a new role for Devin Booker. It's been a, a little different. Booker isn't quite scoring as much. He's not attempting as many shots. But the team's seven and three. 
And my big takeaway from this is, despite getting double teamed a ton still, the pressure has been taken off Booker. You know, despite the double teams coming, it's not all about Devin anymore. There's so many other guys on the team that can make you pay. And that's that's what we didn't have. That shows with our on-off numbers from last year with Booker when he was off the court. Think of how terrible those were. I'd like to compare those to what they are right now because I guarantee this team plays better when he's on the court plus when he's off the court. Yeah. Booker is still great. And everyone around the league knows that he's great. He's starting to become more of a household name, I feel like. It's it, this goes back to the Chris Paul effect. The Suns are so much more popular. All of a sudden, the Suns are cool. And when mm-hmm. you turn on ESPN, you hear about the Suns. It really reminds me of, I guess, what year is it now? <laughs> you know, 15 years ago or so, back when we had Nash and Stoudemire and those teams. I remember it was so cool to be a Suns fan. Yeah. Like growing up in Wyoming, I remember. It was me and there were a couple other guys who were big Suns fans. And we would wear our Suns shirts and people would be like, oh, the Suns are so cool. They're a cool team. And we'd go to these basketball like summer clinics or whatever. they say, who's your favorite player? And you'd get quite a few people saying Steve Nash. And I think we're getting back to that. Booker's becoming that guy. Chris Paul has been that guy for a while, but now he's playing for us. So that all of that is very exciting. But – Booker, he is just able to do his thing so much more now. He is not having to force stuff. He's not having to do every single thing. He doesn't have to run the point hardly at all. It's so great. It is. And, you know, I said his scoring's down a little bit. It's still 22 points per game, still five assists per game. Uh, The shooting numbers are a little bit down, though. He's a 48 from the floor, 35 from three, and a very surprising 78% from the line, which is very unlike. Yes. He was second in the league, 92%, 93% last year. Yeah. So it's just surprising. And then if we're going to throw a little more beef around, 4.3 turnovers per game. And yeah, a lot of that comes from all the double teams that he's been seeing, but that's that's the big concern. We we need Book to take get better care of the ball. Yeah, it's that has been a problem. And even last season we noticed that a little bit. But I think pretty much all of this comes down to chemistry. I think that Booker has been in this role for so long of having to do everything and forcing up shots and still making them that it's he's kind of having to not relearn, but just get more comfortable in this position where he doesn't have to do everything. So I think as these guys continue to play together and build more chemistry, this starting unit, it's going to come. These numbers are going to get better. Free throws, I don't really know what to say on that. Some guys just go through a little bit of a funk sometimes. He's still a great free throw shooter, but yeah, 78 is very low, very low percentage for him. Yeah, and he's only getting to the line five and a half times per game. Yeah. So maybe uh, maybe if he can get the attempts up a little more, maybe he can get back into that groove. I mean, like, dude made 70-some in a row last year, 80-some in a row. It, right. it's, this is just kind of surprising to see, but I'm honestly, I'm not worried about it. It's a weird year. Right, I'm not worried either. I think... The foul calls this year have been a little odd, too. For the last few years, the Suns have always fouled a lot. But because of that, I feel like there's times that we don't get a whole lot of respect from the refs. And I'm not trying to whine or complain here or anything like that. I think it's kind of a natural thing for a team that fouls a lot to not have as many fouls called against them. We've seen this in other circumstances before. But for whatever reason, we just don't get a lot of fouls called on us. Maybe thus far we've been playing teams that don't foul as much. But there are a lot of times where Booker will hit the deck after shooting and there won't be a whistle or anything. And you'd be expecting him to get some more of those superstar calls. And this season we haven't seen a lot of them. Well, let's just keep the 
seven and three pace going and that'll be good. And yeah, it'll get better. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and one more note about the turnovers, 4.3 per game from Booker, but in this game against the Pacers, Suns set a team low ever with two turnovers in the entire game. Booker yeah. was zero. I mean, wow, that's that's special. And the the Pacers aren't slouches on defense either. No, they're good. Like those guys are good defenders. So yeah. really taking care of it. That's that's the difference of that game. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the turnovers are more of just a mental thing too. Just and it goes back to chemistry. Just getting a little too excited about oh, knowing there's going to be a guy here, but. You know, the defense watches film and they kind of know what to expect, too. Plus, he gets double teamed all the time. So I think as the chemistry improves, it's going to be fine. He's not going to average 4.3 turnovers all season. Definitely not. We'll uh, look forward to better free throw shooting and fewer turnovers out of Booker coming up here. Right. And on top of all of this, he's still playing at an all-star level. It's so easy to overlook all of this because we have such high expectations and his norm is just amazing basketball. He's still averaging 22 points a game. Yeah, it's crazy. But the thing is, there's in every game this season that we've won, there's always been another guy who's having a great night. Like Booker's still doing this. It's always 22, 23 per game. But, you know, McHale goes for a career high. Uh, Crowder hits six threes, right. scores 21 that game. Cam right. Johnson goes off, scores 18. Like this, this stuff keeps happening. Chris Paul has a big night, hits clutch shots all game. It's always Booker and another guy doing things that's making us seven and three. I mean, right. Well, and I think Booker's thrilled about this. We know he wants to win, and now it's happening. I don't know. How about this? Stress level for Devin Booker. Basketball stress level. Is it higher or lower? Higher because we're on a team that's more than likely bound for the playoffs and then less responsibility or then just getting your butt kicked every night, being the only guy who can do anything. What's more stressful? I think his overall stress has to be lower because he has been so concerned for his whole career about winning. Wanting to win, wanting to make the playoffs, wanting to do more than just make the playoffs, wanting to win. Now there is some pressure as a good team. You got to keep winning. You can't take the foot off the gas at any point. But I, I think he's less stressed now that we're winning more games. Yeah, stress versus pressure is kind of a good, good yeah. uh, balance there. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's wrap this uh, early season takeaways up. Talking about Aiton and the rest of the bigs. So DeAndre Ayton has played some really solid games on both ends of the court. The defense is obviously getting better and better, and he he's the anchor of our defense, and no one can deny that anymore. But it seems like a lot of fans like to get on him if he's not going to score 20 points. The, the averages for Ayton this year, we got 13 points per game. We got almost 12 rebounds per game, two assists per game, and a, a – one block on the nose throughout the season. So is this enough from Aiton, your number one pick? This is a good question. I can be a little bit back and forth on this sometimes because in the past I have been critical of Aiton. I have said 20 and 10 is where it starts. That's what he needs to just get to. And then anything on top of that is going to be an addition, but 20 and 10 needs to be his baseline. This year, I've really had to change the way I look at that because Aiton is playing very well. He's not scoring nearly as much as he has in the past, but he's playing very well. The rebounding has been great. The defense has been awesome. He is the anchor of our defense. He's, I think he's learned a lot about the game over the last couple of years, and it's really starting to show. He doesn't look as lost out there. He communicates better. He plays good D. He is in the right spot. He still does some frustrating things. His shot selection can be pretty frustrating. I think a lot of this though, is his role on the team. I think he would be doing things differently if he played somewhere else. 
Hmm. I've honestly never thought about that. What would Aiton be doing if he were on the Mavericks or the Hawks or right. the Kings? Right. You know? Hmm. Wow. That that would take some consideration because I, I wonder I wonder what it would be. Because he, he came in knowing that he's gonna be Devin Booker's little brother. Like he knew that as soon as he got drafted by the Suns. So, you know, maybe he gets drafted by a team like the Kings instead. And then he's the, you know, he can step right in and be the big man in Sacramento, like the the star right. of the team. I wonder how that if that would have changed anything or changed how he plays his game. But about the way he plays his game, I, I'm done thinking that it's going to be a back-to-the-basket drop, step, and dunk. I'm, I'm done even considering right. that with Aiton. Mm-hmm. It's a finesse game. It's it's 100% finesse. I've seen people talk about Aiton's like Tim Duncan. Can you get yeah. behind that? Can can you see that style of play come in a little uh-huh. more? Yeah, I can. I think I need to reference Zach Lowe's podcast with Richard Jefferson that came out a week or two ago. They talked about Aiton quite a bit, and it was very interesting because Richard Jefferson talked about how a lot of these things are taught. He, I think Tim Duncan was someone that he brought up. He said Tim Duncan didn't just come in knowing how to do all these things. He had to be taught these things. Dirk, he brought up Dirk. He said when Dirk came into the league, he didn't have all these fadeaway jumpers and all his signature shots. He was taught these things. So what are you teaching Aiden? Richard Jefferson himself even brought up a good point because he was a great shooter throughout his career. He said when he first came into the NBA, he did not want to shoot the three. He wasn't going to shoot threes. And his coaches told him, you need to shoot at least one three a game. Shoot one, and if you make it, then shoot another one. And then keep going from there. And so he was shooting one three a game. And that just Hmm. grew and grew and grew until he became this great, everyone knows him as a great three-point shooter. So Aiden is still learning things. But it's really interesting to see what he's being taught. Because I think he still could be that powerful, you know, dunking, strong, back-to-the-basket, low-post presence. But he doesn't have to be. He can be more of that Tim Duncan, mid-range, maybe even like LaMarcus Aldridge type. It's all going to depend on what he's being taught. Hmm. Well, I sure hope Chris Paul teaches him how to set good screens and run the and just run the roll right. That, yeah. That's what, that's what I'd love to see because I, and I don't want to discount the progress that those two have been making in the pick and roll game this year, but uh, we, we've seen some nice things out of that. Some just beautiful passes where it looks like the play's over. It looks like Chris should probably back out, try something else, but he just leaves one off for eight and perfectly. We've seen a few of those and, I, I want more. I just need to see a little bit more of it. And it's going to come. It's going to come. Yeah, it will come. I think one thing that's very underrated about Aiton is his hands. He has good hands. He, we, we see these big guys dropping passes left and right. We've seen it from guys from a while ago like Alex Len, from more recent guys like Rashawn Holmes. Aiton doesn't drop a whole lot of passes. So that's nice. He has good hands, soft hands, definitely. And I think all of this stuff is going to get better. He's going to continue to run the pick and roll and learn more about that and learn from Chris Paul. He's going to have to be a little bit more aggressive on offense, I think, at times. But he's not always going to have to be. It kind of goes back to the wings. If those guys aren't necessarily going off, that might be time for Aiton to step up and have a big game where he scores 25 points. Yeah. And in his bigger offensive games, we've seen the team feed him down low. Like those those possessions still happen. We saw him a lot more last year, but it still happens this year where if it looks like Aiton can, you know, score on this guy in the post, we'll find that opportunity for him. And he's been doing a pretty solid job of it. He's not he's not instantly pulling those longer jumpers. Uh, I mean, if he wants to just put down a little jab fake or anything rather than just turn around and shoot it. That, that's what I want to see. I want I want the defense to worry about something else before a long jumper. Right, right. Well, and just look at his overall impact on the team. 
check out how often he leads the team in plus minus. This Pacers game is a great example. Aiton led the team with, he was plus 12 in the game. In a close game like that against a good team like the Pacers, being plus 12 is going to be big, especially when your teammates are plus 5, plus 3, plus 7. Plus 12 is big. So when he's on the court, we play very well. Yep, that's for sure. He's That's definitely the defensive end, too. That's where he's really been shining this year, which is really surprising. But that's well, what's going it. on, and that's what's winning us games. Right. All right. Here's the thing, though. When Aiton's not in, what do we think? Is Sarge enough to be that backup center? We've seen him struggle against bigger centers, and like especially Sabonis last night. There, there was no way that Dario was going to contain that. Are we still worried about those situations not having, you know, maybe having to rely on uh, Damian Jones? Is that... Will, will Damian Jones ever see the court again? <laughs> what's what's happening? I like I'm just yeah. a little concerned about getting bullied. That's how we lost to the Pistons. We got bullied, and then we couldn't hit threes. Game right. over. Yeah, it's it's tough. This is a it's a tough question because I do like the ability that Sarge gives us to really stretch things out on offense. Because he can shoot the three. We can do the whole five out type thing and not even have anyone down low. It's not my favorite thing in the world, but it can be effective when you're running against teams who have a hard time guarding the perimeter. But I don't know. Dario looks so good in that backup center role in the bubble. And I think in the right situation, he can continue to be successful at that. But for the most part, he's going to have a hard time guarding these guys. I think the Pacers game is a good example. Yeah, he got bullied by Sabonis and Turner, but we won this game. We, we're we going to outscore teams when this happens. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. If, if Dario's making it work on offense, maybe that's enough to excuse some of the defensive liabilities that are going to be there against bigger, stronger lineups. But, yeah, I mean, three points is worth more than two. That's right. Three-pointers win championships. That's what they've always said. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, I think there's going to be times where we're going to have to see Jones just based on foul troubles or if we have injuries. He's going to be back. We're going to see Frank a little bit. I want to see more Jalen Smith, but – he has something going on that Monty Williams declined to comment on. Right. <laughs> so something related to COVID, I would assume. Some right. contact, something or other, who knows. But I, yeah, I, I was actually thinking about this the other day. Because in the past, our rookies have had to play so much and have had much bigger roles. And Jalen Smith has hardly played this year. He's been fine, I guess, when he's played. But we just haven't seen him very much. And Part of me was like, oh, this is going to be great. He's going to be able to mature and learn a lot in practice and all of that kind of stuff. But another part of me was thinking he he's going to need to play a little bit, too. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, more of a no-pressure rotation role type situation compared to, you know, starting every game and having to guard their starting guy at your position. That's... That's tough for a rookie. I mean, yeah. But there's been situations where I think he was healthy from his ankle injury for the Raptors game. And we saw Siakam go go off. He kind of broke out of his slump and had a really nice game. And I was thinking, man, it'd be nice to be able to throw Jalen Smith out on him right now. That'd be ideal. And then I was thinking, and we were talking about this uh, before the show about the Pacers game with Damian Jones. We said, man, it would have been nice to throw him out once we were already in the bonus to go just get in front of Sabonis and Turner, bully him a little bit, you know, give him a little bit back. I, maybe we can uh, expect to see guys in situations like that a little more often because I am not calling for Damian Jones or Frank Kaminsky to be playing 10, 15 minutes. No way. No, but no. situationally, I'd like to see them a little bit more. 
Right. And I think we will. I also just think they they break up the flow of what we're trying to do on offense. Maybe not Frank as much, but Damian Jones does seem to break up the flow of what we're trying to do as a team. That enforcer type role, it just it can make the game so disjointed with all the fouls and stops and dead balls and free throw shooting and everything like that. Yeah. We do foul a lot still, so maybe it's a moot point, but Damian Jones is, he's more of the enforcer than anything. Yep. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we see it when it's necessary, but I mean, on the offensive side of the ball, he's good to catch an alley-oop and that's about it. Right. From what I've seen so far through the preseason and yeah. Yeah. All right. That wraps things up for our uh, first 10 game review. Let's hop into next week's games. And today, Monday, we have the Wizards in Washington, D.C. at 5. So the Wizards, they've been... uh, Bradley Beal's been scoring buckets, no doubt. I think Russ just got... Is Russ out right now? I wonder if he'll still be out for this... uh, Yeah, I'm not sure. He had been out for a little bit. Yeah, but these guys can... These guys can score points. So that defensive rating and our defensive standings that we've been kind of bragging about, it's on the line against this team because uh, they can shoot it. They can all shoot it. Yeah, they can. And I remember last year saying it's just going to be about who shoots better. Obviously, whoever scores more points will win. But the Wizards want a shootout. They can shoot. They can make those shots contested. If Russ plays, we all know that he can get to the basket at will, essentially. Bradley Beal is a great shooter. A lot of people are saying he needs to get out of Washington. That would be nice to have him come to the Suns, but whatever. But he just got a... such a great teammate in Russell Westbrook. Right. They're, they're going to be so good now, right? Yeah. Everybody loves playing with Russ. Yeah, they've been they've been rough so far. This this game could be tough for us. This really could be kind of a trap game per se. And the same thing happened to us last year. So I I don't know, I'm a little worried about this one. Yeah, well, you know, we're going to score some points in this one. So that'll be something to look forward to. Maybe we see Booker get a 40 piece for the first time this year. That'd be nice. You know, maybe Bridges drops another cool 30 or something like that. That'd be fun. Yeah, that would be All right, next one, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. local time, Hawks at Suns. This starts a three-game homestand, so three at the arena formerly known as The Stick. It's just Phoenix Suns Arena now, isn't it? Yeah, there's no sponsor yet, so... Eh, Come on, Sarver. What what are you doing? It's free money, baby. Right, you'd think that (laughs) that would have happened right away. Hooters. It's going to be Hooters. (laughs) (laughs) The Hawks are good, though. Hawks are good. I want to say something, though. Trey Young said that Steve Nash is his favorite player. I think a lot of people heard about that. Yeah. And then Steve Nash said something about Trey Young where he said what he's doing is not basketball. When Young was getting to the line like 15 times per game early in the season, since Nash said that, Trey Young's free throw attempts have gone way down, like cut in half. I wonder if he took that too seriously from Nash. I wonder what the kind of connection is there, because I, I just think that's pretty funny either way, because Trey's been struggling since that all happened. That's interesting. Well, Thanks. I know I'd take that. Yeah, I'd take that very personally. If Steve Nash said I was doing something wrong, I would change it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He's not even my coach. Right. Yeah, that's... Hmm. But that's Hawks, Hawks, that's a pretty interesting team. They've, they've got some some tools there now, and you know a lot of people are expecting them to be a playoff team this year. Yeah, and this is we may run into the issue with Dario Saric and if Aiton's out with John Collins, who's playing well as a big man, so athletic. John Collins, man, he has already had some really nice alley oop finishes and things like that. He's he's awesome. Yeah, he's fun to watch, but these guys are kind of similar to the Wizards where they don't play a lick of defense. Right, 
right. you know, Trey, Trey doesn't play defense. Collins isn't a great defender either. It, with right. all the tools that he has, he's just not a good defender. Then they got, you know, Gallinari. Eh. Eh. Yeah. Right. It's it's interesting, but I, I think this is a, you know, if you can, if we can keep Trey somewhat quiet, keep Trey under 30 points, I mean, this is a win. Right. Well, and you know who their X Factor probably is, is Bogdanovich. Mm. That guy, man, he can shoot. And he doesn't like the Suns either, because we did right. him dirty back in exactly. the day. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So... Yeah, Bog, this one is Bogdan. If Bogdan Bogdanovich goes off, then we could be in trouble. Bog Bog. Bog Bog, yeah. <laughs> Boj Bog and Bog Bog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next one. The one we've all been waiting for this year. The Warriors come to Phoenix. Kelly Oubre returns to the, to the Valley. The Valley boy himself back in the Valley. This one's <laughs> Friday at 7 p.m. And... I'm just going to start it off with this. Kelly Oubre is either going to score 40 points and shoot lights out, or he's going to throw out a bigger stinker than he has all season this year. Oubre has been dismal so far. I don't think we've talked about it on the show much. No, we haven't. I still like Kelly. He's been so bad. Yeah, he's been horrible. (laughs) So bad. And I have a theory about Kelly. Do you? (laughs) Julia, let's hear it. I know you kind of like Kelly. Here's what I think about Kelly. I think Kelly feels that he needs to be accepted so strongly, accepted by his teammates, his coaches, everybody there. I think that if it's not the way he, if he doesn't feel comfortable with everyone, he's going to overdo things to try to, uh, you know, be in everybody's good graces. I feel like that's what Kelly does. I, I have a feeling about that. And I think he's just do, trying to do way too much. He's playing with Steph Curry. Like, Steph Curry. Yeah. Clay Thompson. Like, you're on that team. You're on that Warriors team who's been kicking your butt for the last few years. I bet it's really overwhelming for him. And with all of his swag and all that stuff, I have a feeling that he's not. he's just not in the groove yet in Golden State. And it's going to take time. And then, you know what, if if uh, midway through the season, if he does start to feel comfortable there, sure, I bet he scores 15 a game. Yeah, that's interesting. I could see that. He, he and Andrew Wiggins are looking <laughs> very similar. <laughs> I think Wiggins has been shooting it decently. Yeah. How's but, it? I mean, those two guys, that's just such a weird pairing. and It is. not quite working out yet. Right. And yeah, at this point, you can triple team Steph and and he'll still go for 40. Right. Right. But yeah. Yeah. The Warriors. Well, they're interesting, too, because they've kind of turned things around a little bit after a really poor start. They've bounced back and they've won some games. So this will be interesting. But with that, our our bet question here, we're. Let me do our shout out first. So this was two weeks ago and we were talking about Cam Johnson points. So shout out to at comic evangelist, comic book evangelist on Twitter, friend of the show, comic book evangelist. He was closest. He guessed 14 points and Cam scored 10. You won that between the two of us because I was very excited and I said 20, (laughs) but we're one on one to one on the season. We've each won one, so nice. tied up so far. So shout out to Comic Evangelist on Twitter. Go follow him. He's great. Our our bet question though for this week, which I will tweet out this question. So at Sunny and PHX Pod, either respond to the question, tweet at us, however you want to do it, DM. I don't care. Just submit it. Our question is: How many three pointers will Kelly Oubre make in our game on Friday? against the Warriors. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going zero. Zero? I'm going zero. Okay, well, uh, you, you leave me no choice. I have to say one. <laughs> yeah, I'm that okay. confident in it. I could have okay. said one. Well, well, I wanted to say zero, so... <laughs> Let's just both say zero and give it a tie this week. Uh, we could. No, I'll go with one. So you say zero, I say one. Yeah, I'll win. That's right. fine. <laughs> no, but this this should be a fun one. I mean, 
the, the Kelly thing, it's it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, Kelly and McHale and Cam, they all played against each other in practice every day last year. There there was some sort of relationship there. Um, you know, I remember seeing that, like, Aiton didn't call Kelly and talk to him after the trade or something like that. Mm. I wonder if there's some hard feelings at all between more than if that's even hard feelings, if there's more, I'm, I'm kind of hyped for this just as my, you know, like my petty sons fan Homer. Like I just, I'm ready for this game. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be exciting. And it's a Friday game. That'll be nice. Oh, yeah. the week, start of the weekend. Maybe a yeah. deli or two during the game. Ooh yeah. Now we're talking. <laughs> all right. And then to end the week, a real tough one. We get the Pacers again. That's a pretty quick turnaround, but this time we get them at home Saturday at seven. Can we do it? Do it again? You know the Pacers are up a really solid team. Definitely a solid team in the East. Can we beat them twice in a row? I think we can, especially because we've already beat them the second night of a back-to-back at their home court. So I think we can do this. Yeah, that's very true. And I, I did say having only two turnovers in the entire game against them at their home court, that's that's really impressive. And, yeah, I just want to add in, if there's fans there, maybe it's a different story. Yes. But, yes. I mean, just that was excellent. If we can do anything like that again, five turnovers, keep it under five. If we're going to take care of the ball, we're going to be a tough team to beat. That's right. Yeah, I'm pretty confident about this one. But with that, we will move to our non-sports section of the show. So like I said earlier, this is the five-year anniversary of the Sunny and Phoenix podcast. I, I can't believe it. January 2016 is when we started. And I know we've done stuff kind of like this in the past, but it's fun to do again. What has changed for you in the last five years? Are we talking podcast, sons-wise, or just everything? Everything. everything. Life. Sons, podcast, everything. I'll kind of just wrap it into one. Definitely dealing with the podcast, but this trickles into real life a little bit. But confidence. Confidence in the Sons and confidence in myself on the podcast and as mm. a speaker in general. Mm. I think, I mean, I remember our first podcast <laughs> where like, I plugged in my microphone and I started shaking a little bit. I was like, <laughs> oh boy, what's going to happen? I, I remember being so nervous about it. And then on top of that, compound that with the Suns being trash for so long and having to come on this show every week and be like, oh, go Suns. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean that that started to like that started to wear on me. I know I, it got to be to the point where like, oh, what am I gonna BS about this week to show that I have some confidence in this team? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. That's that's what this happened. Otherwise, this show would would have been terribly depressing. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, this show wouldn't be around if it would have been like that. So I don't know. I, I just think that you know everything just sort of comes around. Everything comes around. You just got to be patient. You can't bail. You can't be a fake fan. You know, if you stick to something and just keep with it, it's going to turn around. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway. Yeah, I like that. That's very true. And, I mean, for me, a lot has changed in five years. When we first started this, I was in my last year of undergrad. I moved twice. I graduated twice. I got married and went on a honeymoon. <laughs> um, I have had a couple different jobs, and this this job that I have now is like my dream job. So I'm I'm doing that. I'm yeah, a lot a lot has changed for me in life. And then on top of that, you know, still sticking with the team and watching all the games, and it's been. It's been a nice outlet for just fun things to do, a way to relax, a way to enjoy my time. But I think, you know, it's been something that over the last five years, each year it just ramps up more and more where I get more into it and just love it more and more. And it's something that I will do with my family. My wife was telling me yesterday as we were listening 
uh, on the radio to the game. She said she likes watching the Suns games and that it's fun. And she likes to see the personalities of the different players and everything like that. It's something fun for us all to do together. And, you know, when me and you can get together and watch games or go to games, it's like such a fun time. And I want to yeah, go to a game. I, we will. We will soon. You know, <laughs> it's, it's before we know it, we're going to be back at a game. And then, yeah, I mean, COVID has obviously affected a lot of things, but, you know, more than anything, it's just like to reflect on the past five years, I'm so grateful because it's like, this is so, it's so fun. It's the the thing that through a lot of change that I've experienced in five years, it's been constant. Every week I'm watching games, every week we're recording the podcast. It's been that constant for the past five years. And we made a good buddy along the way. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right. Be goody buddies with us. Hit us up on Twitter at Sunny and PHX Pod. Uh, Twitter and Instagram. Maybe an Instagram picture this year. 2021, <laughs> new things. <laughs> All right. But again, we'll be back next week. We'll be breaking down these four games that we'll watch this week and break down the future week. We're just, you know, a week at a time. Phoenix Suns basketball, seven and three every week gets you to the playoffs. Or every week, every month. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. You you get what I'm throwing down. All right. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Go Suns.